Hello, and welcome to the Work Well podcast. The World Health Organization has identified the workplace as a priority area for health promotion. Why then does the word work have such a negative and unhealthy connotation for so many people? Think about it. We spend so much of our adult lives at work. Why should it be in a role or in an environment that doesn't support our health and well-being? My name is Brian Crook, and I'm on a mission to make workplaces more positive places to be and to make our working day as healthy and productive as possible. Join me on the Work Well podcast as I interview workplace well-being thought leaders and industry professionals to discuss how employers, employees, and entrepreneurs can lead the way by creating and sustaining the healthy, safe, and well workplaces of the future. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Senator Emer Curry. Emer has become a voice for flexible and remote work in the Oireachtas. She left the corporate world when her second child was born because of a lack of flexible working options. This led her to become more involved with grassroots organizations like Grow Remote and to campaign for flexibility in the workplace. She ran in local elections in 2019, securing a seat on the first count and was appointed to the Shannad in 2020 as Fine Gael spokesperson for employment affairs, work-life balance and Northern Ireland. If you're interested in the recent and the imminent employment legislation, it's coming thick and fast through the Oireachtas, then you're about to get an update in my conversation with Senator Emer Curry. Emer, hello and welcome to the Work Well podcast. Thanks a million for having me, Brian. Pleasure to have you. Emer, tell us, how are you? How's life? How's work for you at the moment? Life is good. Life is always busy. No two weeks are the same. No Monday morning schedule for the week is the same. So, you know, as life goes, it's pretty good. Brilliant. Sure, it'd be boring yeah, if it wasn't <laughs> interesting and busy like that. Tell us that you've you've had a very interesting career to, to bring you where you are today. Maybe give us a bit of the background on, on the, the CV to date. Sure. So I worked in advertising and marketing for 15 years in agencies. I My last position was a business director in a, an ad agency. It was the, the biggest communications company in the country at the time. I looked after Kerry Foods and some of the work on Fulcha Ireland and Dublin City Council on environmental campaigns. Quite a, a broad range of, of work. And I loved it. I have to say, I, abso- I absolutely loved it. But when my second child was born, and we were actually in the middle of the financial crisis at the time, so we were pitching for new business a lot. And I just couldn't marry looking after small children and the workload and the intensity of the workload and also the commitment that it required at the at the time. And I asked for flexible work. I asked to, to cut back on, on my days to do a job share um, because there were, were quite a few women uh, parents in the company at the time at the same level as me. And ultimately, it didn't work for them. So um, I ended up saying, uh, goodbye in terms of a, a career break. Uh, initially, it was a goodbye, and I said, "No, why don't you go on a career break and 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 we'll regroup." But it it ended up being a a, a goodbye, and I ended up studying nutrition, actually, of all things, for for a year, which was fantastic. 
I was a, a stay-at-home mom for a couple of years. And the politics side of things, which I was always involved in, I just got more and more involved because obviously I had an, an issue that I really cared about, which was about support for families, flexible working, the potential of remote work, because I find myself going to meetings with Grow Remote and really feeling that that was an untapped solution to so many problems. And it took off. It literally took off. And then the opportunity for the local elections um, came about in 2019. And I, I ran my first election campaign. I was elected on the first count, which was brilliant. Uh, you know, a real, well just such an achievement. But it really was about, I, I suppose I was talking about things that other people weren't talking about on the doorsteps. And then I ran in the general elections. I was Leo Varadkar's uh, running mate here in here in Dublin West. I didn't get that, and 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 now I'm I'm in the Shannon. And of course, we've had COVID in between, and the whole area of flexible and remote work took off. So I kind of feel like I'm in the right place at the right time. Yeah, and but you had that kind of driver pre-pandemic, the driver for flexible working, promoting more flexible work options. And so do you feel now that, I guess, thanks to the, thanks to the pandemic, uh, that has been put really just much more in focus now? Employers are looking at this, em- employees want this? Well, we knew that employees wanted it. It just made so much sense. But at the same time, it was not an option for the many. It was an option, the holy grail for the few. And what the pandemic did was it was this global experiment to show that you can trust your employees and they will do the work. And all of the the way that the structures around work um, have built up are just completely outdated now in, in, in the modern workplace. There's so many structural inequalities that people don't even see. And this was, I could have talked and would have talked for years to say that was the case. But now we have a global, we had a global experience that was, you know, I suppose by default, an experiment in a different way of working. And it it absolutely proved that you can do it differently. And it suits people, that choice and that flexibility just suits people, makes them happy. And you get the work done at the same time. So employers are initially forced into it because of the pandemic. But now in recent years, uh, we've seen a lot of, I guess, government activity, policy, legislation to kind of create, try and create that supportive environment around, around all of this. Could, would it be possible maybe to summarize the recent activity? Because there has been quite a bit going on. Yeah, sure. So we've, in the last two years, which is how long I've been a a senator, we have seen the code of practice come in about the right to disconnect, which was timely given uh, the hours that people were working during the pandemic and the blur between home life and work life. That was necessary anyway, because I think even with, with technology, those lines have been blurred. And I think we never got that time back, that dividend that we were supposed to get with flexibility. We were supposed to, it was supposed to give us more flexibility and meaning that we had more control over our lives. But actually, I think it just means that you work more at different times. So I think we need, we did need that. And then we have had the rural strategy 
and the investment in our communities to respond to the potential of remote work. There's been a huge amount of investment in rural areas, in co-working spaces and in the connected hubs, just in general, making rural areas more attractive places to live, therefore more realistic. And as part of that, we've had the right to request remote working legislation, the general terms that were released and uh, that they were released just after New Year's. There's been a lot of focus on that, a lot of focus on it for me in terms of how to make it work the best. With them, we've also had the parental side of things. So in another department, so the right to, to request remote work has come from the Department of Enterprise, Trade and Employment. And then we're also seeing from the Department of uh, Children and, and Equality and the flexible working for options for parents. So we've seen the, the general scheme released for that too. Both of those pieces of legislation have gone to their their respective committees where senators and, and Iraqis members and stakeholders have had the opportunity to contribute to crafting that. And then the 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 next stage, one report has been released and, and one is 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 yet to be released. And then then they we will see the the actual legislation coming before the Dole and the Shannad. It's very busy, but it is all about at the end of the day, this is workers' rights. It's the work-life balance, but it's, it is it is about workers' rights and improving the conditions of workers. And w- with this, we have very much proven that, yes, it's progressive, but it's also practical for, for employers if they have the right supports to transition, if they need that. I mean, there are plenty that can show the way because it's not the mystery that it used to be. Yeah, and now that's important, isn't it? Of course, the, the the rights of the worker of the employee, but also that it works for the employer. And I yeah. know that's that's what's being discussed at, at the moment in both of those bills. I'll just take you back to, to the right to disconnect. First of April, twenty twenty one, we've implemented. We've now have a code of practice. So really good quality uh, guidance document, if you like, and I'll include the link to that in the show notes. France, for example, they way went a step further. It's it's legislation in France, the f- first country in the world to do that. Do you know the kind of the thought process behind uh, why we opted for, I guess, a code of practice as opposed to legislation? And I'm guessing there's pros and cons to both. We actually already have legislation in terms of our the the Organisation of Working Time Act. The real issue for me is that people don't know enough about that that you are entitled to rest breaks compensatory rest breaks, weekly, daily rest breaks, and that an employer can't just expect you to stay late or work late without any kind of notice consistently. So the legislation is there. And I think what the code of practice does is it's trying to bridge the gap, I think, between where employees and employers are and where the legal requirement actually is. That's what the code of practice starts to do. I do wonder and I've I've asked for now that we've had a year of the code of practice and I'm I've asked for data on this and how effective it, it is. Um, and I will wait to see what that data says. But I I, I do wonder um do we need uh to accompany this code of practice a communications campaign that informs people about their rights and employers about their responsibilities in this place. Yeah, very good. Okay, so, so the code of practice is effectively supporting or bridging the gap, as you said, 
to the uh, the Working Time Act that is already there. Another interesting one is I think the EU is maybe working on a directive as well around the right to disconnect. Would that surpass or kind of usurp what we have or any ideas on how that might work? Yeah, because the work, the Organization of Work and Time Act is also connected to that. The EU directive, if that were to come in, that would be something that we would implement. So absolutely, let's watch this space about about what happens there. And in relation to the EU directives, that's where the Work-Life Balance Act or the bill has come from in terms of the Department of Equality and Children. So that's one aspect of European directives that are being implemented here. And we've seen that also with the likes of parents' leave, which is being increased at the moment is is five weeks and it's going to go up. That's another example of where the EU directives are having an impact. And yes, that would be very positive. Very good. Yeah. And, and just in terms of the right to disconnect, you know, it's great to have this kind of supporting advice, guidance, policy, if you like, that's there in the background. But ultimately, I think it's still going to boil down to the culture in the organization, what behaviors are being rewarded. You know, it'll come up to the management if there's a, two people going for a position and the person who's clearly doing longer hours or replying to emails at midnight kind of thing is getting the position as opposed to that person who's getting the work done, but is strict sticking very rigidly to the, to the timing and is collecting the kids from school, all that kind of stuff. It'll still boil down ultimately to the culture and the organization and, and what's rewarded, I guess, but still, it's great to have that supporting legislation in, in the background. But like I said, I think it's, it, it's the work on the culture and the organization that I see is maybe the longer term, what organizations should really be focusing on. I think we, what the pandemic has done from a positive perspective is that it has focused employers more on output rather than presenteeism and the perception of, of how productive somebody is. So when I was working in an agency and people that I worked with, I would have been concerned to see emails at a certain time of day. And I would ask the question, well, what's going wrong with your workload that you're having to do that? I wouldn't see that as a positive. I would see it as a negative. And that if if there are efficiencies that could be made, then how could they be made? But if the workload is too much, then how do we address that? So I would hope that it's not the case that people who are sending the late emails get more attention than the people who aren't. And I would hope that the pandemic has has shifted minds on output rather than the presenteeism, because presenteeism, what is, you know. A bum on a seat. Bum on a seat. And yes, you know, you do have to make sure that you have a good culture, but, you know, culture, you can create culture in all sorts of ways. It doesn't mean that you, it, it has to fall into the old perception of work hard, play hard. And that's the only way that, that you get ahead. I think those days, well and truly, if they're not gone, they need to be gone. Yeah. Well, I think we had the idea of a results-only work environment. I know a couple of organizations in the US who have been doing this pre-pandemic, certainly. But I think that's there's a few organizations shifting towards that now, thanks to the pandemic. But I hope that continues. I hope we don't just revert back to 
people bum on a seat kind of this overarching management just with an eye over the shoulder constantly results only uh, output as you mentioned that absolutely should be the way forward for most organizations it won't be for all as we you know with, with thanks to elon musk and people like this but i think i'm hoping for the majority of organizations with the supporting policies behind them that they will they will work towards that yeah and i think we have heard of instances where employers have said things like that and they're being named and shamed. <laughs> and, and, so, and, and so they should. You cannot make presumptions if they're about people just because they are not they're not visible when you're in the office that you can see them. So there's so much more to measure in an employee by than if you can see them when you're in the office. I was speaking to John Reardon very recently uh, from Grow Remote, and he said he he welcomes people talking like Elon Musk talking the way he talks. It, it generates discussion. Usually, you hear from the other side of the argument then as well. So it just leads to a good discussion on on the topic. So he certainly welcomes that. That's a good point. It keeps it alive, and it allows us to focus on who who is doing what companies are doing it well and what companies can learn. I do accept that. This is a transition and some companies need more help than others. But I think the way to deal with that is to recognize that rather than to just say that it can't work and it doesn't work. Absolutely. Yeah. Talk to me about the right to request remote work then. And I guess the connected hubs and this kind of the rural, maybe the, the rural idea and promoting kind of right to request remote work where do we go next with this? Is it to support employers who can have a lot more remote staff? Is it for the employees then as well? Organizations like Grow Remote promoting this and, and the communities then as well, the local communities, the maybe the, the hubs there benefiting from all of this. Is that is that where we're headed? Yeah, I think where we're heading is the continuation of what we're doing now in relation to connected hubs and the growth of 400 hubs nationally that people can work in that is going to take time as we figure out what works what doesn't work because there needs to be some flexibility there it'll just take time to create a model that works for employers employees and from a all of the issues that people say like health and safety and insurance and making sure that they're financially sustainable and all of those sort of things so that that is a that is a work in progress. The bit I think that we need more focus on is the support for employers in terms of the transition. So you will have companies that have made that transition and have been ahead of the curve and already know how to run a digital first or a remote first in culture or environment. But you have big organizations in Ireland that just don't know how to do that. And, and I am surprised sometimes at the levels, uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the size and level of companies that haven't heard about a digital first or a re- or remote first environment where if you were you ensure that somebody who's working in Kerry five days a week remotely has the same opportunities as somebody who is in the office um, and that instead of the office bricks and mortar being what physically brings you together, that technology is what you and your work systems bring people together um, rather than relying on presenteeism. That is tricky. That transition, any kind of change in an organization is tricky. So I think that the supports do need to be there to, in order to help companies to do that. They can do it through Grow Remote. 
um, and they have their alliance with big organizations. I think there needs to be more of an emphasis on that. What I would love to see is a remote ready campaign where employers are assisted through this transition in the same way as they were through the likes of Brexit that would support them. And in particular for then for, for SMEs and for smaller companies that they can be assisted through that process as well. So I think it's worth the investment to do that rather than letting companies just do it by themselves. I think that we would we would um, see dividends. I think if we're going to put, we have ambitious targets and vision for regional balance and making sure that areas that have never seen a, a red ribbon moment for jobs that they get the benefit of remote working jobs, but you're you can't you're not going to achieve that if you don't have the supply of of remote jobs, and that can't be on an ad hoc basis. That needs to be a cultural shift. That in Ireland, in the same way as when we look at Finland, and Finland had core working hours for flexibility for years, and are known for the fact that they're that fathers get to spend as much time with their children as mothers, and they have a flexible work culture. I want people to work, look at Ireland and say Ireland is the best place in the world to do remote work, to live and do remote work, because the companies have adapted to embrace this remote work culture and they make it work. So I I think that requires investment. And so that's something that you hear me talk about a lot. It's that assistance. Brilliant. Yeah, and I'd love to hear that, actually. I I think that would be great, wouldn't it, be able to say that Ireland is the best country in the world for, for remote workers? And also something important you said then as well, this, it's, it is important, isn't it, to have that focus on supporting the employer with the transition. And in, in particular, I'm thinking of this small employer, and I know it was only a draft, but the initial uh, bill was, it was probably one size fits all. I mean, it, it wasn't it wasn't industry specific. If you, were a, if you were a small coffee shop, for example, with no remote workers, but you still needed a remote work policy, there's just a bit of flexibility in the bill and supporting those I guess employers uh, with it, as well as the, the the organizations that can work remotely. But I'm guessing this is the type of thing we will see in the updated bill, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, we're at the stage where we've seen the general scheme, and now we're moving. We'll be moving to more specific legislation. Yes, there were absolutely needed changes in in certain areas, like for instance, the appeals mechanism, the grounds for refusal. I would believe that you should have access to the right to request remote work from day one, not after 26 weeks, um, on the basis that if you are somebody, like I gave an example earlier on from Kerry or Donegal or Mayo that wants that wants to work for a company that's based in Dublin, they have to come into the office for 26 weeks. Six months they, of Dublin rent and yeah. <laughs> before they can then ask for the right to request. If the culture is there, then it shouldn't make any difference if they work from day one or not, because it's not it isn't a burden on the team. It's a, just a different way of working. But I accept that there is a there is a mindset shift that is required here. They are probably the biggest areas they they're from from when are you entitled to the right to request, the appeal mechanism, and then the grounds for refusal? Excellent. Yeah. So, so 
clearly like so lots happening and we'll we'll keep in touch and we'll update the, the listeners on on all the, the latest info that you have and, and thanks for sharing that with us Emer. I mean I, I think this is an unbelievably exciting time for you know there's, there's never been a time where I guess people governments organizations have been so focused on on changing or, or reviewing work practices and, and working models I mean, the four-day week is out there uh, the high hybrid is goes high on the agenda for for lots of organizations remote and distributed teams are, are there now i know it's, it's difficult to say but i mean if in five years time I and mean, any any thoughts what, what are we looking at in terms of of the world of work is, is it possible to have a, an idea or where would you like to see us going is probably a better way of looking at it yeah well i mean in five years time if the bills that are there at the moment are implemented, you're looking at parents having access to flexible working hours up until their child is 12. You're looking at the right to request remote work for everyone. You're looking at a system, a national system of hubs nationally. And so that is significant change. You've also got other workers' rights legislation that we've been we've been bringing in, like sick pay and the living wage. So there's there's lots of things that this government is investing in. From my perspective, what I would like to see is universal access to flexibility. And remote work is part of flexible working. Remote doesn't work for everyone, but there are other parts of work flexibility that can work for people. In my view, we need to be heading to a space where you have that flexible working is offered to people as part of the just the way that we work and not as something that you prove that you can do. And that that means that somebody could work compressed hours and then be able to take time off during the summer to look after their kids so that they're not um, having to pay for kids camps or that somebody can work their compressed hours and take time off to go traveling and um, if so it's not all about parents that people who are older might benefit from wanting reduced hours and that's what works for them so I think there's a type of flexibility out there for everyone I think that where I live in suburban areas don't get as much attention as rural areas understandable because the challenges are different but um I it's just as my life would just would be as as radically changed back when I worked in advertising and marketing, living here in Dublin 15, by having access to flexible work, to be able to work in a hub close to me, not just in, in rural areas, but that I would be able to drop my children to school by bike or walk, foot, whatever, and then be able to travel a very short distance to a remote working hub and work there. And maybe I would work for 10 hour days and I would have three day weekend, you know, that sort of thing. So I'm continuing to push that. And I think that our communities do need investment. We've had this uh, one, a one size all model of work where you get up at a certain time, you um, drop the kids to school, you commute a long distance to work and then you come home late at night and that system didn't work for so many of the population, carers in particular, who are predominantly women, people with disabilities. And actually the investment, the mindset has to change to put 
to invest in communities to catch up that communities are places where people not just live and send their children to the school, but they can work there. They spend their money there. Their local businesses are supported there and their local communities have more of a say in how um, their community is shaped. So I think we are at the beginning of a transformational change that empowers people that up until this point haven't been empowered enough and communities. There's a lot of work there, I think, in in terms of where next. We have made so much progress in such a short amount of time. But I do think there is there's more stuff to be done there, even things like putting remote work targets in our jobs targets. We still have politicians still have a mindset that when you have a job announcement, it's attached to a certain area and it, it shouldn't be. Yeah. Those remote jobs benefit people all, all over the country and are good for areas that would never see them. Yeah. Very good. So it's more, you're seeing more people and communities being a little bit more empowered with this. Yeah. Very interesting. And I definitely vote and support a Dublin 15 hub as well. If there was something within, within walking distance, of course, as well. We, we have one. So we've, we've opened and I'm on the board and um, not walking distance. What we give it, give it a plug yeah. there. That's in uh, Mulhuddert, based in, in Mulhuddert. So we have nine remote working desks, um, separate rooms. You can come enter with electronically. You have beautiful facilities there for people. So that's the first one. I'm working on the others. And uh, my, my first blockage there is making sure that this, the same funding opportunities are available because it is different. This isn't about rural versus suburban or urban. This is the challenges are very different for an area that needs regeneration that has a lot of vacancy in a rural area, has low population, wouldn't have the water infrastructure for housing. Um, it, it, so it, it is a different a different set of objectives than it would be, say, for us here in Dublin 15. But, but at the same time, we don't have a lot of people that, that work uh, remotely or at home in, in Dublin are doing so from kitchen tables or from dining room tables they don't have the space for a home office or you know the potential for a home office and and so the remote working hub is a different proposition but just as worthy here we do have severe challenges when it comes to childcare and those kind of community support that affect people's employment so it's different but we, we should have the same opportunities to transform our communities to respond in, um, accordingly absolutely yeah very well said and I look forward to seeing more and more of those hubs kind of develop over the years. And I know there's a lot of focus on that as well, which is uh, great to see. One kind of final point I have on all this is, I guess, organizations don't need to wait for the legislation or for the policies. I mean, or, and, and many don't. They're leading by example when it comes to creating that culture of trust, flexibility, you know, believing in their, their people to be uh, to work autonomously and to input into their own, the creation of their role, if you like, and, and the, the tasks that they're completing. And I think they're going to be the really successful organizations over the, over the long term. When that initial trust is there, you trust your people to do good work, no matter where they are, no matter what hours they're keeping. So that's definitely something I, I mean, as I said, companies can, can do that now. It's just understanding your organization, your model and your people. And, and, and I, like I said earlier on about there have been the, the companies that have been named and shamed 
or they're not just companies, they're the organizations that have been named to shame. They're few and far between. And so when people see those notes that go up in offices saying, why aren't you sitting at your desks? That's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. They are few and far between. And most, uh, most employers that I speak to, it's not a case that they don't want to. They maybe don't know how to adapt. And that we do need to, to step in um, and support them to create and mold their culture. I do not underestimate, even though we've had two years of the pandemic, we've had one or the other. We had all in the office, all outside in the office. Now organizations are trying to marry both and they do need they do need assistance as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. And this is the Work Well podcast, Emer. So clearly got busy work life, home life as well. Are you managing time to dedicate to your own well-being? No, I'm not. No? <laughs> I'm really not. I'm spokesperson for work-life balance and I don't have any work-life balance. Uh, but I'm in a privileged position to be a public representative. It is an, a huge honor and you feel that responsibility. So if I get two years that I've had, three, sorry, I've had three years, um, including the, the local election. So I've had three years. And it took me a couple of years to get there as well. And, um, you know, I'm just going to give it my all for as long as I as long as I'm here and I'm happy to do so. And what, what about that argument, though, by, you know, a little bit of a little bit of exercise, a little bit of downtime will actually allow you to give more back to the community. What about that argument? That is a very good argument. Yeah. And I am trying. I, <laughs> I, I, I really do try and I have two children and we're trying our best but it is the nature of the 24-7 news cycle and when announcements come that you're not expecting or a phone call comes where people need help you know that's just that's the nature of, of this job and and you just gotta you just gotta do your best yeah well you know where Park Kid is you've got, you've got a couple on your doorstep yeah. and you're, you're all you're always welcome there thank you <laughs> thank you Saturday mornings Saturday in Ashtown, Sunday, Phoenix Park might be closer to you. It's uh, Sunday mornings, uh, 10 a.m. So, yeah, and every, every single Sunday as well. Well, now that we have, so I have park run for the kids on a Sunday at half nine. I started a park run up here in with um, some people in the community sure. and, uh, that I was happy to support. Wait, which uh, park is that? That's in Beach Park in, in Clonsilla. Okay. So, um, but that's been coinciding with my daughter's camogie matches that have been happening on a, on a Sunday. So now that the summer is here, hopefully we'll have more flex- flexibility to on, on, on a Sunday. And a Saturday, we were I'm usually out and about with community events on, the, on a Saturday as well. Well, it's, it's um, an early, it's an early enough one Saturday, half eight in Ashtown, and you're welcome to, to mention it to Leo there as well. His constituents <laughs> as well, he can he can yeah. pop down. <laughs> thanks a million, Brian. <laughs> Emer, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Where's the best Probably. place for people to go to find out more about you and your work? Probably Facebook and Instagram, and email Emer E M E R dot Curry C U R R I E at O I R dot I E. Oh, brilliant. And we'll include all those links in the in the show notes as well. Emer, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. And that's a wrap for this week. Go to workwellpodcast.com if you'd like to access the show notes for this episode. Quick favor to ask. Can you head over to iTunes or Google Play or wherever you get your podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review for the WorkWell podcast, it will be a huge help. So thank you. If you want to dive deeper 
in the area of workplace health promotion. If you want to educate yourself in this area, then make sure to check out the WorkWell Institute. It's our online learning hub. It's a one-stop shop for all your workplace well-being training needs. You'll find all the details at workwellinstitute.org. By the way, the original music that you're hearing right now was composed by my good friend, Greg Clifford. Check him out at gregcliffordmusic.com. Thanks for listening right to the end. Remember to work well, stay safe, and I'll see you on the next episode.